Hi everybody, my name is Keenan, and I thought it would be interesting to produce a reporting series about the pertinent studies emerging in psychedelic therapies for mental health to guide us through what could be occurring in the next few years. This is going to be an exciting time for everybody involved, and I'm glad to be a part of it so early in the process with everybody listening. I thought I would begin by analyzing what has been going on lately with Mind Medicine or MindMed as they have announced recently that they would be beginning their phase one clinical trial with their patented compound 18MC and what exactly that means. There does seem to be some confusion going around about which companies are investigating which compounds, for instance psilocybin or LSD, MDMA or ketamine what those compounds are being investigated for, as there are a wide variety of mental health disorders like depression, anxiety, addictions, or PTSD, and what the goal of each company is, and whether they are researching new compounds or clinically trialing previously studied compounds, or maybe even producing new methods of administration altogether. I am not an expert in investing or technical or fundamental analysis, and so I will not be addressing that component of the sector. My goal here is to shed some light on past, present, and future research in psychedelic therapies and their implications on mental health practice for the future. I'll begin today by talking about 18MC, or 18-methoxychlorinaridine, which is MindMed's patented product that they will be investigating, particularly in the use of opioid use disorders and opioid withdrawal. I'd like to state that I am in no way affiliated with MindMed or with the production or testing of 18MC, and any opinions I share are my own. Ibogaine is a compound that was isolated from shrubs native to Western Africa, which demonstrated a lot of potential in treating different types of mental health disorders, particularly addictions when studied in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I will address Ibogaine and its history in a later episode, as I would like to begin with the most current topic at hand, clinical trials of 18MC. Obviously, opioid addictions, being a very prominent issue in Canada, where I'm from, and globally, would benefit hugely from an effective therapy to assist in attenuating the psychology and physiology of addictions. Many people suffer with substance use disorders despite their best efforts to stop their substance use, and could benefit from an adjunctive therapy to typical opioid agonist maintenance therapy with methadone or suboxone. 18MC is a derivative of that plant ibogaine, and in theory, should attenuate addictions as well. So what exactly is 18MC? I've seen a lot of confusion and a lot of questions asking whether it's a form of ibogaine, a derivative of ibogaine, or maybe even a new molecule synthesized from scratch. I'll address this question in more depth in the future. However, as a fairly basic look, I'll compare the structure of 18MC with the structure of ibogaine. So every chemical, which includes medications, has a specific chemical structure defined by the way the atoms are arranged. Ibogaine consists of a five-ring system, and off of some of these rings, there are branch groups. To be more precise, there are three branch groups that we are going to examine. A man named Dr. Stanley Glick was a researcher in the late 90s investigating ibogaine and altered the atoms in the three branch groups. Although the general structure of the molecule was retained, still generally resembling ibogaine, altering these three branch groups changed how the compound worked in the body. In a sense, you could call 18MC a designer drug, as it was altered in a way where the researchers were trying to maximize the benefits in terms of anti-addictive properties while minimizing adverse effects that are usually associated with ibogaine use. The alteration that would become the molecule's namesake was the addition of a methoxy group at the 18th carbon in the structure. This consists of an oxygen atom joined to a carbon atom with three hydrogen atoms attached, and hence the name 18-methoxy. 
The coronardine portion was an alteration previously made by researchers at the University of Vermont, which Dr. Glick was experimenting with. So he added a methoxy group at the 18th carbon on a coronardine molecule, or 18-methoxycoronardine, or 18-MC for short. So is this a strange method of drug development? Well, not really. It turns out that most modern prescription medications are actually derivatives of some natural compounds. So for instance, captopril, which is a type of ACE inhibitor, a very powerful blood pressure lowering agent, which is prescribed in huge numbers each year, is actually a derivative of snake venom. Now, snake venom has been shown to have very powerful blood pressure lowering capabilities. In fact, these capabilities are so strong that it can be lethal. But if you modify the chemical structure of that snake venom just a little bit, you develop captopril, which has blood pressure lowering capabilities, but not to an extent where it causes lethality. And so in a similar way that captopril relates to snake venom, so does 18MC relate to ibogaine. There have been small chemical structure alterations made to maximize the benefits of the medication, for instance, in captopril blood pressure lowering capability and in 18MC anti-addictive qualities, while minimizing the risks of the initial compound. With snake venom, it's the lethality of tanking blood pressure. And with ibogaine, it is full body tremors, heart rate lowering capabilities, and Purkinje fiber degradation in cerebellar tissue, which are all very dangerous. In his initial studies with 18MC, Dr. Glick performed testing on lab rats, which had been conditioned to self-administer addictive substances like morphine, cocaine, alcohol, and nicotine. Both 18MC and ibogaine were tested to see if they could attenuate addictions and mitigate opioid withdrawal. I'll be going into that study in more depth in a future episode. However, just for now, I'd like to elaborate on the 18MC phase one clinical trial, which has recently begun, as that is more present. The takeaway from that study was that 18MC was an effective choice in reducing addictions and opioid withdrawal in those lab rats. However, not to the same extent that ibogaine could. There was a trade-off though, as ibogaine was a little more dangerous, it could produce adverse effects like lowered heart rate, Purkinje fiber degradation in the cerebellar tissue of the brains of the rats, and it could also cause full body tremors. 18MC, although slightly less effective, did not demonstrate these adverse effects. So because 18MC seemed to have relative safety and reasonable efficacy, it made sense that it would be progressed from lab rat trials into human trials. MindMed began the first phase one clinical trial with 18MC in humans to demonstrate product safety on April 17, despite the current global healthcare climate due to COVID-19. So what exactly does that mean? Well, maybe I should begin by saying what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that MindMed is investigating whether or not 18MC is effective in reducing addictions or preventing opioid withdrawal just yet. In fact, none of the participants enrolled in this trial will have substance use or opioid use disorders. This first study is solely aimed at investigating whether or not the medication is safe to use at all in a general population. Participants enrolled in this study are meant to give a very general overview of the population at large, and therefore they will not have any significant medical problems like cardiovascular issues, respiratory issues, diabetes, 
mental health disorders, or even, as we might expect in this study, substance use disorders. Again, the only goal from phase one clinical trials is to demonstrate safety in a relatively small group of healthy people in order to limit potential harms which could arise from introducing the medication to too large a group of people or people with significant health problems too soon. So what exactly will be occurring in this phase one clinical trial? Although MindMed has not necessarily enrolled everybody who will complete the trial, the company has begun testing with 18MC in at least one participant as of April 17th, just three days beyond their anticipated start date of April 14th. This is commendable given the current global health climate. The trial study design is posted on a registry called clinicaltrials.gov, which is important because MindMed has laid out their intended study design in advance, including dosing regimens of 18MC, clinical outcomes being observed, estimated timelines of commencement and completion of the trial, and characteristics of patients enrolled in and excluded from the study. Registration of the study in a database like clinicaltrials.gov is important because it allows for the public and for researchers and for anybody else who might be interested in the study to know exactly what will occur and when it should be occurring. Registration also essentially forces MindMed to publish the results of their study, whether or not they are negative or positive. This helps reduce publication bias as the company can't hide the results should they come back problematic. The public will know that there was a failure and the company cannot simply say that they will do another trial without raising a few eyebrows. This trial is estimated to conclude in late September or early October of 2020, at which point the study results will be published and the fate of 18MC will be determined. The phase one clinical trial will be divided into two parts. The first part of the study will examine a single day regimen of 18MC divided into two doses. There will be 28 participants enrolled in this part of the study. Participants will be randomized to one of four groups, each group with seven members. From the seven participants in each arm, five of those members will be randomized to receive the active 18MC, and two of those members will be randomized to receive a placebo control. Participants randomized to receive active 18MC therapy will either be given 4, 8, 12, or 16 milligram dosing twice a day, again, for just one single day of use. More participants are enrolled in the 18MC active arm than in the placebo arm to allow for a higher rate of detection of rare adverse effects which, theoretically, would require more participants to detect and would not be expected to manifest in the placebo control group. After the single day of dosing, participants will be followed for two weeks with check-ins on day 7 and day 14 for a number of adverse effects, physical findings, and lab tests which I will describe later. Should the medication fail this portion of the trial, the study will end and MindMed will need to go back to the drawing board. If 18MC is successful in demonstrating safety, the trial will proceed to the second part. After demonstrating safety in a single day dosing, the trial will proceed into its second part, multiple day dosing. This part of the study will again include 28 people, randomized in the same fashion as in part one. However, the active 18MC dosing will now be two, four, eight, and 12 milligram doses given twice a day, each day for a period of seven days, a little different than in part one. Participants will be monitored for the same adverse effects, physical findings, and lab tests as in part one, which I will describe later. This group of participants will be monitored continuously until day 9, at which point follow-up will occur on days 14 and 21, a total study duration of 3 weeks, in contrast to the 2-week duration of Part 1. 
Should this second part of the trial fail, the study will once again conclude and MindMed will need to go back to the drawing board to reimagine their therapy. Given that, to proceed to the second part of the trial, the drug must have been safe in the first part of the trial, it's possible that the results may have been due to chance and MindMed may consider initiating another safety study. If the therapy is proven to be safe, then the study will be a success and the results will be published and submitted to the FDA and, barring very extenuating circumstances, will likely proceed into a phase two clinical trial. At this point, MindMed will be looking to demonstrate efficacy as well as continued safety in addictions therapy. This phase two clinical trial will require an additional recruiting period and would likely not commence until late 2020 or early 2021. So returning to the phase one clinical trial, I had mentioned that the researchers were interested in monitoring for a very large number of adverse effects. It's not enough to state that a medication is safe in a vacuum. It must prove to be safe in a wide range of health categories. And there are eight main categories of adverse effects, lab findings, and physical findings which will be monitored in this study. The first category is common and serious adverse effects. So common adverse effects include side effects of 18MC, which would generally be expected to occur in a relatively high number of patients using the drug. Generally, common adverse effects are relatively innocuous and include things like headache, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, or dizziness. These are effects that we would not be too concerned to see occur and could reasonably be expected to occur with a large number of medications. We would expect the benefit of 18MC to outweigh these small adverse effects. Serious adverse effects, on the other hand, are more difficult to characterize, but are generally effects that arise from the study, which are deemed seriously detrimental to health. It's important to note that just because a medication has serious side effects associated with its use does not mean that it is not a good choice, as serious adverse effects tend to be much rarer than those innocuous common effects. Every medication exists on a scale that balances benefits versus risks, and as long as a medication can prove that the benefit it gives outweighs the risks associated with use, the medication may be a reasonable choice in therapy. The second category being monitored will be blood pressure and heart rate. So this is important to monitor because chronically elevated or low blood pressure or heart rates can result in cardiovascular problems like heart attack or stroke over time. The third category is body temperature. Altered body temperatures in either direction, high or low, can be very harmful if they occur for extended periods of time. The fourth category is an EKG, which will test the heart's conduction system to ensure that proper electrical activity continues to move through the heart and the heart continues to beat in normal rhythm in order to properly supply the body with an adequate amount of blood. The fifth category will involve drawing some blood and doing blood cell counts, including red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. It will also be checked for coagulation time to see if the patient is at risk of bleeding or blood clotting. Serum creatinine and blood urea nitrogen levels will be taken to indicate proper kidney function, and liver function tests will be performed by measuring serum liver enzymes. The sixth test will be a urinalysis to check for protein, glucose, and ketones, and many other substrates of the kidney in the urine, which could indicate renal dysfunction, as well as toxic metabolite buildup from 18MC. In the seventh category will be physical findings such as height and weight measurements. 
And finally, in the eighth category, there will be a comprehensive neurological examination in the form of a 90-second digit symbol substitution test, an eye movement test, and a gait examination as well as reflex testing. So as 18MC was demonstrated to be relatively safe in a rodent population, is it likely that that safety will translate to a human population? Well, what we have to do is go back to what was said at the beginning, that 18MC is a derivative of ibogaine. And what was the big issue with ibogaine? Well, it produced adverse effects like lowering of heart rate, Purkinje fiber degradation of the brain, and it could cause full body tremors. So it stands to reason that the categories we would be most worried about 18MC failing in are the blood pressure heart rate category, the EKG category, and the neurological examination. I really look forward to following this study in the coming months as I believe that MindMed has a product with huge therapeutic potential for opioid use disorders. If you'd like to read more about the study or its design, I'll post the clinicaltrials.gov link in the description of this cast. Thank you for listening and I hope you're staying safe wherever you are.